Good morning. My name is Ryan Burns. Uh, I'm on staff here at Redemption Hill as the director of operations, which just means I do a lot of stuff. Um, and, and it really is my joy. I'm, I'm so excited to be able to be here this morning with you and to open God's word and to celebrate the gospel. Uh, if, if you've got a Bible with you, turn to chapter 26 of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, kind of uh, behind some of the sections here, you'll see some entrees. You can grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, just keep it. It's, it's, it's our gift to you. If you're using one of these Bibles, it's page 539. I'll save you a little time looking. The rest of you, I have no idea what number it is. As you're turning there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. God, I I pray now exactly like I prayed an hour ago. That you would let your weightiness, the weight of your glory, rest here in the preaching of the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we see and as we savor the work of your Son, Jesus, for us, pray that you would ruin us. God, ruin us for the taste of anything else that we think will satisfy us. Amen. Amen. Over the last several months, we've been in a series titled The Drama of Redemption, where we're taking an entire year to basically walk through the entire Scripture uh, telling the great unfolding story of God. And from the beginning, uh, in Genesis 1.1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we've attempted to walk through the Scriptures and walk through time and history and watching as mankind goes from bad to worse, ignoring, despising, and even rejecting the God that's created them, and also watching as this great, and glorious God seeks to intervene to save His people. And at times, we've, we've covered very large portions of, of time and history. Um, and, and several weeks ago, we, we began to really kind of focus in on what the whole, or, or actually I should say who, the whole drama of redemption is about. Jesus. And we've... Pastor Robert's taken us over the past couple of weeks. We briefly looked at his life and we looked at the escalating conflict with the religious leaders. And then we spent several weeks looking uh, at why Jesus came. And now over the next three weeks, the drama of redemption is going to reach its climax. And like any good story, this is where things get really, really intense. And, and as it does, we're going to zoom in and look at a lot of detail. We're going to meet a cast of characters. We're going to meet a lot of people. Some of them you may be familiar with and some you may not. And we'll begin to hear their questions and their protests, their plots, their cries. We'll begin to sense their anticipation. We'll taste their fears. We'll be swept up in their panic and we will be crushed by their betrayal. The drama of redemption God's great work to deal with sin, to deliver His people, is intensely personal. I want to say that again. God's great work to deal with sin and deliver His people is intensely personal. And my encouragement to you today and over the next several weeks is to to just lean into it. To lean into it and let this drama of redemption envelop you. Allow God's story to be your story. And over the next three weeks, I implore you with with some words that I read this week by by an author, N.T. Wright. I implore you to look squarely at the death of Jesus in all of its stark horror and let its beauty and terror 
captivate your heart forever. Matthew 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished these sayings, He said to His disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not, not, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, Matthew does some really great writing here in these first three brief sentences, and he takes us into two meetings. And there's two very different groups of people. And in these two meetings, there's one thing that's common about both of them. And that is that Jesus must die. And so we see Jesus and his disciples gathered together. and, And he bluntly states, as clear as he's ever done, the clock is ticking. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he's, he's told them, you know, he's hinted that the time is coming and that he's going to die. And, but here he says, here's the deal, fellas. Two days, I'll be delivered up to be crucified. There's no ambiguity. Jesus tells exact, his disciples exactly what lies ahead and he tells them exactly when it's going to happen. And I mean, can you... Can you imagine the shock of hearing this? Crucified? Crucified? What What does that mean? I mean, as a disciple, you know, they're they're always getting it wrong. And you know, maybe maybe this time he's talking in parable again. Like could he could he really mean crucifixion? I mean, imagine the perplexed look on their face as they, as they walk away from this meeting. But as they walk away and as we walk away, be clear of this one thing. Jesus knows what's coming. His pending arrest and crucifixion are no surprise to Him. He is going as it is written. Across town, there's another meeting taking place. Uh, this one with the chief priests and elders, and they've come together, but the topic's the same. We've got to find a way to kill Jesus. I mean, he's, he's causing an uproar. I mean, everywhere that this guy goes, the people just flock to him. I mean, he goes down by the seashore, and everybody just kind of lines up, and he's getting in a boat, and he's yelling at them, and, and, and he goes over on a hillside, and everybody's following, leaving the, leaving the town to go out to listen to him. He walks through the city, and my goodness, if a giant traffic jam doesn't cause to happen, and everybody's gathering around him and pressing all around him, and, and there's an uproar everywhere he goes. And not a day goes by that somebody doesn't come up to me and say, you think he's the Messiah? The Messiah, this man who heals on the Sabbath. You know, there's no doubt that Rome's not paying attention. They see what's going on. They see that that this chaos is going and that the people are being swayed to follow after this man and we're losing our control. And you know what? Caiaphas, Caiaphas, you said it earlier this year yourself. You said it. You said it's better for you that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation perish. For the sake of the nation, we've got to get rid of this guy. And already the tension is rising. There's fear, confusion, anger, jealousy, disappointment, hatred, and hope. Verse 6, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, 
Why do you trouble this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with me, but, but you will not always have me. And in pouring out this ointment on my body, she's done it. She's done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. Now, many of Jesus' disciples, many of his followers uh, were women. And, and if you look in the gospel accounts, they're pretty amazing women. If you look around the room, you'll see that they still are. But having announced what lies ahead of him, that the clock is ticking, he gathers for a meal in Simon's house. And a woman enters. Now this woman is, is most likely Mary. And Mary is someone, if, if you've read the gospel accounts, that you're probably pretty familiar with. She was a follower of Jesus, and, and she had a sister whose name was Martha. And there's, there's this great, uh, uh, great story in the Gospels where, where Mary and Martha are, are, are kind of hosting a, an event for Jesus and his disciples. And, and Martha is the director of operations. And so she's, got a, she's running around with a clipboard, and she's got check boxes. You know, I've got to prepare the meal. I've got to get the table right. We've got enough chairs set up. Are they all the right colors and in a straight line? She's making sure everything's happening right. I mean, this is, Jesus is coming. Let's get this thing together. And she's all busy and she's working up a sweat and she looks around. and Where in the world did Mary go? And she goes hunting for her and she looks and there she is. Just sitting right there at the feet of Jesus. And she's listening to Him and she's learning from Him and she's beginning to love and cherish the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about and how He's bringing. She's starting to really understand who Jesus is and Martha's all fussy with Jesus. You know, tell her to come and work with me. And she says, He says, no, 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 no. Your sister chose the better place to sit and hear from me. And we can tell that, that Mary was a very astute disciple of Jesus. She heard from him. She began to treasure him and treasure the kingdom of God that he preached. And so the next time we meet Mary, it's after her brother died. Her brother Lazarus is dead. And Jesus comes, and where do we see Mary again? Right there at his feet. This time she's weeping. She's mourning the loss of her brother. But we see something really important about Mary. She gets it. Because there, amidst her tears at the feet of Jesus, she confesses that she knows that she knows that she knows that Jesus has the power of life and death. And so, could it be that Mary, this disciple of Jesus, actually understood what he had said earlier, that two days and I will be crucified had this woman who loved and treasured the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing actually understood what the others had not, Jesus really, truly was going to physically die in two short days. The Jesus who had raised her brother from the dead was on his way to taste death. And so, in an act of worship and devotion, whether she really knew what she was doing or not, she takes this alabaster a uh, jar of ointment, which the other, another gospel account will tell you was worth an entire year's wage. Instead of just popping the top off, she breaks the whole thing. She says, you're worth it all, Jesus. She sees Him, and she savors Him, and she gives this thing that is of such a great cost to her because of her deep, deep, deep love. And she anoints Him, for his burial. She has heard his words and she has responded with faith and with worship and with sacrifice and with a deep abiding love. And the poor disciples, these guys can't ever get it right. What seems so natural to them now is they've spent time with Jesus and understand that, that the good news is for the poor and to go and love and serve those who are in need, they look and, and instead of celebrating what she's doing in this act of worship, it comes out with, as indignation 
for this waste. But as often as the case, they missed it. They still do not fully grasp what's going on. But there's one amongst them. There's one of them who's missed it more than the others. There's one who isn't just confused. He's conflicted. Verse 14, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, the Bible never tells us what Judas' motive was. There's lots of really smart people in this world, and there's a lot of really great ideas of what motivated Judas to do this. But as for Judas' motive, the Bible's silent. But what we do know is this that the plan of the religious leaders, of of the chief priests and the elders, their plan to kind of wait until after the feast, after the crowds had kind of dissipated, to kind of secretly take him whenever, whenever they might have an opportunity, in an instant, the plan has changed. Because they have an accomplice. And an accomplice has presented himself, but not, this is not just any accomplice. This is Judas. I want, you to, I want you to get this. Judas was one of the twelve, so Jesus had a lot of disciples. And when you, when you read the scriptures, you, you know, it talks about different groups of disciples that he had. But there were twelve. He called by name and said, you guys, you're following me. And these twelve, one of them's Judas. And, and you know, so, so when you think about Judas... You know, we, we kind of know the story, right? I mean, if, if you know anything of the gospel, and I realize some of you might not, but if, if, you've, if you've heard this story before, you, it's no surprise. Judas betrays Jesus. Like, yeah. But this, you, you don't get this. This is Judas. Judas was there when Jesus takes a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish and just starts breaking it. Next thing you know, Judas has carried food to thousands of people. And Judas is right there beside Peter, and they're, they're carrying baskets after that meal, and they're putting bread in, and Judas and Peter and, and Bartholomew and all the guys, they kind of walk up and they just set it down before Jesus. And like, there were, there were only a couple of loaves and fishes, and now we got all these baskets of food. I mean, this is, this is Judas who that night when the storm was raging all around them, and these guys, they just sit there and they're all freaked out and, and what's going on and what, what's that out there? Oh my God, there's somebody coming. Who, who, and then Judas is standing there. Judas is right on the bow of the boat right next to the other guys. He's standing next to James maybe and he, all of a sudden he's like, what? He sees Peter jump over the bow of the boat. What in the world is Peter doing? Judas was one of his disciples. He was there amongst the crowd as people were trying, he's trying to do crowd control to keep people off Jesus so that he can go and heal this sick girl. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops. Judas says, what's going on? Everybody says, what's going on? And a woman who's had an issue of blood for many, many years is all of a sudden completely healed. Judas was standing right next to the other fellows when Lazarus walks out of the grave. Judas was one of the twelve. This is a deep, deep betrayal. Verse 17, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed him directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, for the the disciples and and, and all of Israel, Passover was and and still is a very, very big deal. 
And for those of you who remember the story that we covered earlier in in the series on the drama of redemption going through the scriptures, uh, Israel had been enslaved in Egypt. For 400 years they were oppressed and they were captives and they were beat and they were crying out to their God, God, deliver us from our oppression. Deliver us from our slave master. And God raised up a deliverer for the people in Moses. And Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, "Mm -mm." And so God begins to warn Pharaoh through Moses and he begins to send these plagues to show his greatness and his power and his might. And all the time Pharaoh has a chance to repent and every time he hardens his heart towards God. And so Moses goes and he says, one more plague's coming. And it's the worst of all. Tonight, God's judgment is going to pass through Egypt. And the firstborn of every household is going to die. And in the midst of this, God prepares a way out for His people. And He he instructs His people that by faith, they're to take a lamb, a perfect and spotless lamb. They're supposed to bring it and they're supposed to kill it. And they're supposed to take the blood of that lamb and they're going to take some lentils and they're going to go and over the doorposts of their house, they're going to mark it with the blood. And that night, when God's judgment for the sin of of oppressing God's people, He's going to come in and He's going to bring judgment and wrath. And as as it's going throughout throughout Egypt, when it comes to a house where it sees the blood over the doorpost, he'll know that somebody in that house has already died. There is one who has already died, and he'll pass right over. The lamb died instead of them. And God delivers his people from their their oppressor. He delivers them from their slave master, and he takes them out across the dry sea. And the Passover meal was then instituted as a permanent fixture in the life of, of God's people. And every year at the same time, families and friends would gather together and they would share this special meal. And they would follow a very, a very specific protocol. There were very specific things that, that were to be on the table. There were specific things that were to be said. There were specific questions that were supposed to be asked. And all the time during this meal, they are recounting how God delivered His people from slavery. But they were also looking forward to the day that He again would deliver them from their oppressors. And the meal was a family meal. It was a celebration. It was special. And in the other Gospel accounts will say that Jesus told His disciples that He had longed, He had so longed to share this meal with them one last time. And so he makes arrangements and he sends Peter and John ahead of the group to prepare the room, the room where they would have their last supper. And I kind of want you to, I want you to get this before we go on. I want you to feel it. Um, a few years back, I can't even remember how long ago it was anymore. Actually, it was five years because it was my 30th birthday. Um, and it was, it was just before my wife and I and my kids we're going to be leaving Richmond. We'd lived here for, for about four or five years and we had made some of the greatest, dearest friends we had ever had in our entire life. And, um, and we knew that we were leaving in just a couple days. We, were, we believed that we were following God to this new stage in our life and, and despite how much we loved Richmond and we loved these people, we knew we had to go. So we called them up and said, hey, can can we just go to dinner one last time? And so Robert and Aaron and Raymond and Heather and Chris and Rebecca and my wife and I went to this little restaurant outside of Carytown and we sat down and it was kind of empty and for six hours we sat at a table and we and we ate and we talked we drank and we laughed and and, and I was there, so I'm sure we cried. <laughs> and just 
in that time, we shared moments together and we recounted the goodness of God that He would let us be friends, that He would, that he would let us serve Him together in this city. And deep down, I can't remember if I said it or not, but there was that hope that it wouldn't be the last meal that we'd have together. That someday, by God's grace, we might be able to sit at that table again and recount the goodness of God together as friends. Now, I'm sure you have some meal like that. You have some meal that's so special to you that you can, you can just close your eyes and you can just see the faces. You can hear the sounds. You can remember the restaurant. You can remember the time. You can remember everything about it. It's so near and dear and special to your heart. That's this meal. It's the scene that we enter here. In verse 20 it says, When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. Jesus is sharing his most sacred meal, the Passover meal, celebrating God's deliverance of his people from slavery with the people that were closest to him. And we can, we can look around that table and we can see who's there. We can look and we can see Simon, who's called Peter. And we can see his brother right over there, Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee. And then there's his brother John, right next to Jesus. There's Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas. Oh, Thomas. There's Matthew, a tax collector. There's James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot. And Judas. Verse 21, and as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, now perhaps the weight of that doesn't really rest on you, because you know the story. But I mean, have you ever had that moment where, where you're hanging out with a friend or, or you're with your spouse and, and you know them really well, and you can kind of got that sense, you know, your, your spidey sense is going off and something's not right, and you're not sure if you're supposed to ask or just kind of play it cool, or maybe you just don't want to ask, but you know there's something, and there's, a, there's kind of a, a pause in the conversation, there's a lull, you kind of look at your friend and all of a sudden their head just drops, and then they slowly lift their head and they they lock eyes with you. And the moment you look into their eyes, you know. You know. There's a pit in your stomach and it just drops. And there's there's this weight that just came out of nowhere. And there's and then with all the courage they can muster, as if they have to force it past their teeth, they look at you and they say, I gotta tell you something. And your mind just goes a million miles an hour in every single possible horrible scenario that you can think of. And you wait to hear what they're gonna say next. This is that news. I mean, can you can you imagine? I mean, these guys were brothers. They had been through thick and thin. And now Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me? Verse 22, and they were very, very sorrowful. They began to say to him, one after the other, eh, is, it, is it me, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now, of course, all of our eyes, boom, Judas. We know. 
Our eyes flip right to him. But not at that table. Not at that table. They look around and, and, and they start going, well, it's not going to be Peter. We know it's not going to be Peter. I mean, that guy's crazy. It's not going to be James. It's not going to be John. I mean, my gosh, John, John's the beloved one. I mean, my. Wait. Could, could it be me? Could it? I mean, Jesus, Jesus knows me. He knows me deeper than I know myself. He always knows what's going on in my heart. He's always even correcting me when I'm not even saying stuff. He knows. He knows what's going on in the depth of my heart. Does he know that, that it's going to be me? Is it me? Wait, he said, he said the person that dipped their hand in the dish. Which, which dish? Which dish? Oh my God. Is it that dish? I think I put my hand in that dish. Did Jesus put his hand in that dish? Is, is it me, Lord? Is it going to be me? Verse 24. The Son of Man goes as it's written of Him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray Him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Notice one small thing there. All of the other disciples had called Jesus their Lord. But what does Judas say? Is it I, Rabbi? Judas already knows what he's going to do. And not only that, but he's made up his mind about who Jesus is. Surely he isn't the Lord who will establish the kingdom of God. He's just another good teacher. Amidst this shocking news, the sorrow mounting in their heart, the difficulty and the confusion, the Passover meal continues. And the meal, I said, is, uh, I remind you, is one that these guys, these guys have had this meal year after year since their youth. They would have tasted the bitter herbs, passed the unleavened bread, and enjoyed the roasted lamb. And along with the meal, the story of the exodus and the crossing of the sea and God's great deliverance from slavery would be retold. It would be so familiar to them. Any one of them would have been able to lead the meal. They knew it. They knew it by heart. But Jesus was leading the meal. And so he followed the script that, that all the rest of Israel was following that evening. Until verse 26. Jesus took the bread, and after, he bless, after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. What? I mean, that. That's not, that's not in the script. I haven't, I haven't heard that part before. What, what is Jesus doing? This was a, this was a pretty radical departure from, from what's normal. And I mean, this is Jesus' body? Broken? What, what does that mean? Verse 27, and he took a cup. And we had given thanks he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. But it was, it was the blood's it was the, the lamb's blood that was spread over the doorpost that dreadful night of our deliverance. What did Jesus mean that, that his blood was the blood of the covenant? This wasn't the Passover script that we all knew. What, what was happening? What do you mean, Jesus? Something radical was taking place. 
Jesus was saying that the Passover meal, God's deliverance of his people from their slave master, he's saying that it finds its fulfillment. It finds the fullness of all that it means in him. That it's about God delivering his people from their true slave master, sin. And Jesus is telling his disciples, get this, Jesus is telling his disciples the gospel. He's telling them the good news. That the sin that has separated them from God, that throughout the drama of redemption, through all of history, has been the issue that God has been dealing with, with many sacrifices and ordinances and all these things to deal with the sin of people. All the sin that had separated them, which could only be dealt with by the legal payment of death, was going to be fully and finally paid by none other than the spotless, perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so in the Lord's Supper, the, the, the broken bread representing Jesus' body and the wine representing His blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, in this, the Gospel is proclaimed. That those who place their faith not in the objects of the supper themselves, but to the person of Jesus to whom they point, to the gospel. For them, for those people, the wrath and judgment of God will indeed pass over. But it will only pass over because as we'll see next week, it falls squarely on the shoulders of Jesus. But an important part of the story still remains. Verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, I love that. All week that part has jumped out at me. After all of this, they joined their voices together to worship their God and King. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, not me. I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. All, every single one of the disciples said the same thing. After singing the song and departing, I'm sure it was a a strangely quiet walk when they arrived at the Mount of Olives and Jesus lets them know that tonight you're all going to abandon me. And they, they protest, of course, Peter being the most brash, saying that even if everybody else does, I'm not going to speak for them, but for me, I'm in this. I'm in this to the end, whatever end, even death. And all the others agree right there with them. They're all in. Come hell or high water, they are going with their captain and Lord. We're in this with you. And I point this out because the fact of the matter is Jesus was right. Jesus was right. The mob arrives and shortly after this, all 11 disappear. They run for their lives. Peter, the brash and most confident of them all, when confronted by a little slave girl, denies Jesus in the most vehement of terms. Why is that important? 
because I want you to see this. I really, I really want you to see this. Jesus opened his table to each of them. He invited them to his table. He longed to have that meal with them, knowing good and well what was going to happen in just a few short hours. He invited them to his table. He knew them deeper than they knew themselves. He knows you deeper than you know yourself. He knew of Judas' betrayal. He knew that it only took one angry mob before they would run for the hills. And he knew that his brave and brash, water-walking Peter, he knew that he would say the words, I never knew him. Each and every one of them, he invited to his table. He invited them to the gospel. As I said, as I said at the beginning, God's drama of redemption, God's great work of saving his people from their sins and bringing them out from their slave master, out from their oppressor into his kingdom. His redemptive story is so deeply personal. So deeply personal. We've seen a lot of people this morning. We've been a lot of places. But if you look closely, you're going to see yourself in the drama. Did you see yourself in there? Were you, which meeting were you at? Were you one of his disciples that's followed Jesus around, listening to his teachings, seeing his miracles, and, and, and being captivated by him? And now you're confronted with his death? Like, I love what you're saying, Jesus, but crucifixion? What? What's that? Isn't there another way? Isn't there another way that I can be made right? Or are you at the other meeting, plotting and planning to get rid of this annoyance? You're just tired. Tired of Jesus' followers. Tired of the crowds. Tired of all, this, all these rules. You just want to get rid of this annoyance. At Simon's house, were you upset at this woman wasting this valuable treasure in her act of devotion to Jesus, to other people's wholehearted abandon to God. Does it just kind of rub you the wrong way? Does it kind of irritate you? Does it kind of bug you to see somebody just wholeheartedly devoted that they would give anything to follow Jesus? Does it bug you because it cuts you to your heart? Or maybe... I guarantee you there's a bunch of you in here that are just like Mary. You love Jesus. You love the gospel. You get it. And you are willing to do anything. You will give anything. You will give your life. You will give your treasure. You will give it all because you have seen and heard and believed the good news. Maybe you're Mary. At the meeting with the chief priests, are you the one that will betray him? Is there something or anything that you would say that you value and treasure greater than than Jesus? Your career, your family, your money, your health, your good deeds, your good works, your sin? Do you just treasure it so much that you're just willing? That's worth more. I'm just going to cash in on that. There's a song that we sing often during the Lenten season here at Redemption Hill. And there's the, I've been playing it throughout the week, and there's one line in there that crushes me, crushes me every single time. It says, Judas sold you for 30. I've done it for less. At the Last Supper was your hand dipped in the dish with Jesus, 
Do you realize that he knows you so much better than yourself and it terrifies you? Could it be that I will spend this whole life and lose it in the end? We're on the Mount of Olives. Did you make a run for it with everybody else? Have you somehow feel like you failed Jesus? Like you had this really great opportunity and just out of fear or whatever, saving face or your own own, uh, prestige before others, you you just made a run for it. Where are you in the story? Where are you? Because here's the thing. Jesus invites you to the table. Jesus invites you to the table. The good news, the gospel, the table, it's this. That the God who created all things, the one who is worthy of all our love and devotion and praise, we haven't loved him in a manner worthy of who he is. We've plotted against him. We've certainly sold him for less than 30. We've rejected him in a million different ways. And from beginning to end, God has made very clear that the penalty of sin is death. Not just physical death, but a separation from him, a separation of relationship. But as he declared that night at that table, he is going to let his body be broken and his blood shed so that for those who place their faith and hope and trust fully in him, that God's just wrath would be satisfied and he would pass over. God, that's, that's what communion is about. That's what it reminds us week after week as we hear the good news of Jesus, as we sing the good news of God's deliverance of his people from the slavery to sin and bringing us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what communion is. That is the table that you are invited to. You are invited to that table. You, the one who hated God. You, the one who yelled at your kids this morning. You, the one who looked at pornography. You, the one who has treasured the joys of this world more than the joys of our God. You, the one who had too many. You, the one who lied and cheated your way to the top. You, the one who cares more about yourself than anyone else. You, the one who fled when opposition to Jesus appeared. You, this meal, the gospel, is for you. The moment that you know that you're not worthy is the very moment that you're ready to come. And so this morning, as we do every single week when we gather together, we're going to take this meal. And this is my hope and this is my prayer for you is that the gospel is real. That you believe the gospel. That no matter what sin has so easily ensnared you, no matter where you are in this story, that you will hear Jesus say to you this morning, repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news that you're not worthy, but my life was worthy, and I chose to give it up as a ransom for you, that my body would be broken, and that my blood would be shed for you, right here, right now. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Rejoice in it. Let the weight of it crush you, and let it fill you with so much joy that you just can't contain it. It's such good news. Believe it. 
And so in just a minute, we're just going to take a couple minutes now. I just want you to, to sit here and, and, and if you have to, close your eyes, but deal with Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to the table. He is inviting you to hear the gospel, to repent of your sin, to believe in Him. And God, I pray that you would do that in our hearts. Make it alive. Make it real. Help us to treasure it. Help us not to, 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 to think that we can somehow make ourselves right enough to come to your table, right enough to have some list so that we can be good enough to believe the gospel for you to love us. Help us to see and savor that it is your son, Jesus. God, would you do that in our hearts? Would you transfer us from the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son? in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Just take a couple minutes. Let it deal with Jesus. If you're one of those that's serving communion this morning, you can go ahead and go and get the elements and go to your positions. eating this bread and taking of this juice will not save you from the wrath of God. They're meant to point you to Jesus. They're meant to point you to His body that was broken and His blood that was shed for you. And if you have faith and you believe that the gospel is for you, Come, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and savor, savor the good news of Jesus and proclaim it to a watching world until the day that he returns. And we drink this wine anew in the kingdom of our Father. Come and celebrate the gospel. And then let us join together and sing and make much of our Lord. You can come whenever you're ready.